0: Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary as we start another week here on the program. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, If you are on podcast form, please remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. If you're listening out the window that I realized I just left open, well, the show is called Couch Potato Diary. You can find it wherever podcasts are available. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and like this video. Those are always appreciated. Coming up on the show today, it is a busy one as the UFC has a new middleweight champion. The Toronto Blue Jays have a new and we have a new data point for everything in the NFL, which means new things to panic about or not. Uh, we will get into that as in what I am calling now reasonable reaction Monday. Uh, we are going to get into that. We are going to get into the blue Jays and of course into the ultimate fighting championship as well. So a lot to get to as always, if you disagree or completely agree with anything that I say and just really feel the need to let me know, you can find me on social media on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetime Klein, twitch.tv slash primetime And you can email the show couch diary at yahoo.com. Um, just quickly off the top, want to give a shout out, uh, not that they need it, but uh, Spruce Meadows went to the Spruce Meadows na- uh, Masters Sorry, uh, over the weekend. I've never been to Spruce Meadows for an actual like short show jumping event, it's always just been for Cavalry FC and what a facility they have out there. It's it just absolutely stunning and you know it when you go out there for the soccer but holy hell can you tell um, the, the amount of work and the, the world class facility that there is out at, at Spruce Meadows. It is unbelievable. So if you have an opportunity to, to go check it out, could not recommend it anymore. Um, also, I, we'll get into it a, a little bit more, but with uh, a lot of the stuff here in the NFL, I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of football lately. Um, you can't really tell because I got the, the natural light coming in. Your boy got some sun over the weekend as uh, I was at the um, our, our slow pitch playoffs. Unfortunately, our team did not do very well, but it was a whole lot of fun. Um, so a lot of the football talk today is going to be And I will come right out and say that a lot of this football talk today is going to be box score scouting Um, We'll be watching a lot of these games throughout the week, but just wanted to put that out there So uh, longer than normal open, but let's get into it now as we talk about the National Football League Hi, I'm Kim Carson And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea A podcast about world events that you know about But might have fallen asleep for during history class or social studies, however you learn history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need a top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, let's begin our NFL talk here today, as week one is now in the books. And I'm calling this Reasonable Reaction Monday. Um, We're going to break these into three categories. Confirmation bias. (laughs) Um... Wait and see, and things I've changed my opinion on. So, I, I think they're all pretty obvious, but we, we will start with confirmation bias. Well, what things that I, I did I think coming into the regular season that uh, have now been completely confirmed for me, and I'm absolutely right, nothing will change on these over the next uh, 17 weeks of the regular season, into the postseason, and on through uh, the Super Bowl out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> so, that's a little bit of fun, but basically it's things that I was right on based off of week one, Um and just working through in no particular order. Uh Zay Flowers with the Baltimore Ravens appears to be the real deal. Um And maybe this is more that the Ravens offense in general, and this is week one against the Houston Texans. We were never going to get that, but the passing offense kind of ran through Zay Flowers in this game. And th- there was not a whole lot of resistance from the, the Houston Texans, at least from what it seems. Uh, again, uh, if you missed it in the opening, because I'm kind of clipping these on YouTube, um, I, I haven't been able to watch any of these, so I, I will fully admit a lot of this is box score scouting, but I'm interested to see how much of this um, output from Zay Flowers here in week one is, uh, what the Texans weren't doing, what the Ravens were doing, what the other receivers weren't doing, so I'll be interested to see how this all goes, but for week one, you have to feel very good about Zay Flowers' involvement in this passing offense, and again, an offense with the Ravens that we were projecting was going to have a much better year. On the other side, the Texans suck, um, and we kinda knew that coming in, we projected that, they are one of the ones we absolutely hammered the under on, on their win total, and, so far so good, on the Houston Texan side. Um, Cleveland taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, and I am quite excited about Nick Chubb's involvement in the offense. We had talked about how he was going, he is one of the most talented wide receiver, or sorry, most talented running backs in the league, and how many opportunities he was now going to have in that Cleveland backfield, and he did. Uh, four pass catches out of the backfield, ran the ball a ton. Um, he was one of the, the high opportunity players of the week, we'll get to that a little bit later on. I feel very good about the call that like Nick Chubb is going to be really, really dynamite for fantasy football this season. Uh, Tampa Bay taking on the Minnesota Vikings. The Bucks come away with the win. That was one of our big calls of the week. We had Tampa Bay plus five and a half. We had them on the money line. I think it ended up being plus 205 by the time we, we clicked on that one. This Tampa Bay team is better than people were giving them credit for. Baker Mayfield... He's not going to come out and win them a bunch, but I think he is at a point where I, I don't know if he's going to lose a ton of games for them either. So I, I I do have a bit of a feel that this might be Geno Smith 2.0 for this season, and he came out in week one um, and at least put up the numbers to, to come away with a victory. On the Minnesota side, a lot of concerns about regression from a Vikings team that basically feasted in one-score games a year ago. And I think we we feel very good that it's been confirmed. While we do think Tampa Bay is better than people were giving them credit for, it's not a team you should be losing to on week one. So the Vikings are in about as much trouble as we thought. Uh, Same thing goes for Carolina. As they lose to the Atlanta Falcons, that was another win total that I was stunned was as high as it was. And so the the investment we made on that one feels pretty good at this point. Yes, it does. Uh, Not a whole lot to say on that. Jacksonville with a win over the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I think this is, uh, the the one that we take away from this is Calvin Ridley is good. Um, so there, locked in. But he, he looked every bit of what you would expect him to look like, um, if he hadn't missed the last two seasons basically but he basically looked like he picked up right where he left off and this is one I am concerned a little bit about the the pick I made on uh, Jacksonville not winning their division because they now have a one-game lead on the Tennessee Titans and Calvin Ridley looks as good as I thought he was going to coming into this one so he was phenomenal uh San Francisco with a dominant win over Pittsburgh and this one it's it's locked in and it wasn't a whole lot of concern but the San Francisco 49ers are one of the best teams in the league and that was absolutely confirmed in week one but another part that was confirmed I was a little skeptical on what the Pittsburgh Steelers were selling coming out of the, the, the the preseason and look this is one of the top teams in the league that they lost to. Um, but it, it really did show that the Pittsburgh Steelers are not, I think, at the level that people thought they were going to be at. They st- still might be a good team, for sure. Might still be a good team. But they ain't very good, and they got run over by a great team on Sunday afternoon. Uh, same thing goes Denver Broncos. Uh, the, this show was skeptical of any type of hype, uh, hype around the, the Broncos. We took the under at 8.5 wins, and if you can't be beating that Vegas team, that's gonna be a problem. So... um albeit they're one of the more fascinating teams to watch as this goes along to see what does Sean Payton do with Russell Wilson, but for right now, um, what else do we have here? Oh, the Miami offense is really good. There, again. But I, I had said coming in that, and the concerns about the Miami offense were not um, solved from week one because people's main concerns are how healthy is Tua Tagovailoa going to be. For one week, seemed pretty good. Um, at least the the numbers do. And again, I'm going to go back and and try to watch as many of these as I can, but those numbers are electric. And what we said coming into the season is, yes, that there is a chance that Tua gets hit, um, and, and he could get injured. That's the same for everyone in the National Football League. It is a contact sport. I played slow pitch over the weekend. Someone tore tendons in their finger. That... Shit happens, man. So, if your biggest thing is, oh, well, he might get hurt, so might fucking everybody. And for right now, the Miami Dolphins are pretty healthy. And for right now, the Miami Dolphins look pretty good after a big win on Sunday. Also, feeling pretty right about the Green Bay Packers. We said that they could win the division outright. And holy boy, did they look like it after one week. Um, At least, again, from the scoreboard. Um, But... To, to put up those points on the, the Chicago Bears with uh, an offense that felt a little banged up coming into this game. They have to be feeling ecstatic about where they are at and I am feeling ecstatic about where they are at for my pick for winning the division and pick for uh, going over their win total. So feeling pretty, feeling like my bias is pretty confirmed on the Green Bay Packers after one week anyway. Uh, into the Sunday Nighter, and we knew Dallas's defense was excellent. Um, th- there wasn't a whole lot of pushback on that. That That's not a, a breaking news thing from anything that I said. Um, Dallas is just really fucking good, and Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the league. And another thing, th- the Giants aren't as good as people were saying they were. That That was one thing that I was saying, like, yes, last year was great, and proved me completely wrong. They're still not as good, I don't think. I think they had a cupcake schedule a year ago. They don't exactly this uh, have a, a tough one either, but that is um, my my biases that have been confirmed through one week in the NFL. Now, what am I waiting and seeing on what 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 alternate evidence was brought up that I'm mean, you know what keeping an eye on that? The first one is Damien Pierce. I think he's extremely talented as a running back for the Houston Texans. The problem is they're going to be losing in a lot of games, and he did not have a whole lot for volume in this. I believe it was nine carries or eleven carries or something along those lines if that's going to continue, that's going to continue to be a problem for, for Damian Pierce. And so my eyes are open a little bit at just how bad the Houston Texans are and just how much that might affect Damian Pierce. He's probably going to have to be a bit more involved in the passing game for him to be the viable fantasy option that I thought he was going to be. And the steal that I thought he was going to be at different points this year. Um, Cleveland and Cincinnati, just in general, I I'm prepared to say that I'm wrong on them. Um, a lot of my feelings, strong feelings about Cleveland are around their piece of shit quarterback. And, and I, again, I have to watch the game to, to see how much of it he actually did, because the, the stat line doesn't absolutely blow you away. But that's a pretty lopsided score against a team that a lot of people have going to at least the, the, the AFC Championship game, if not further, in the in loaded AFC. And for Cincinnati... Those numbers are ugly, man. Those numbers are really, really ugly. So my my eyebrows are raised at what could happen with the, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns going forward. Alexander Madison got stuck stuffed in Minnesota's loss against Tampa Bay and a couple of years ago Tampa Bay was impossible to run against I don't think they're that now but I'll be interested to see how much of that was ineptitude in the offense how much of that was a, a lack of availability um and just what was the cause of that but the the eyebrows are raised at what might happen with Alexander Madison going Forward, uh, the Tennessee Titans. I I put a lot of faith into them to go out and uh, win this football game and win their division. I, I have them as uh, AFC South champion only putting up 15 points against New Orleans does not seem AFC South champion-y to me. Um, so a little bit concerned at, at some of the numbers, especially Traylon Burks didn't put up the, the biggest numbers in that game. So interested, I didn't look, it's a good New Orleans defense. And quite frankly, a, a New Orleans defense I didn't give enough credit to when doing our, our season previews this year. So that could be a, uh, I didn't, I don't think I put that one down in the change column, but that could be one. Cause I, I did not give this Dallas Allen defense nearly enough credit. Um, for what they, they could be able to do, but they absolutely shut them down, at least defensively. Offensively, that's not the biggest showing, uh, I guess, um, statistically. The Raiders in general, that, that's a close win that they were able to grind out. None of the stats seemed eye-popping, um, and defensively, they held an offense that I was, had question marks around to 16 points. Like, that's not, it seems fine. Um, they they, they struggle against some of the worst offense, offenses in the NFL last year, so even if Denver's is that, It's nice that the Raiders didn't, from a Raider fan standpoint, anyway. So, I'm just willing to be wrong that the Raiders might not be the worst team in the National Football League this season. Hey, they're number one in the AFC West right now. Um, DeAndre Swift in Philadelphia. I, I continue to think that this is an incredibly talented running back, and at least through one week, this is now two teams that have not given him the opportunities that one of the top running backs in the NFL would seem to get. So, that is one where eyebrows have absolutely been raised and concern on my part because my fantasy team, uh, one of them, dropped Kenny Gainwell this week and he seemed to be the lead toucher for Philadelphia. Now I do think that's going to change as the weeks go on so that's why this isn't fully in the change one because I think Philadelphia is going to have a a rotating door but I thought it would be DeAndre Swift getting most of it and then a rotating door kind of behind him instead of Smith being rotated out the door. That was concerning at least through one week. I have been very hard in my stance that I don't think Mac Jones is very good. But 300 plus passing yards on a Philadelphia Eagles defense will at least put you on the wait list for things that my mind could change on. Um, so that is, that certainly is something, at least that that I'm gonna be looking at is, is this Pat's offense a little bit better than I thought? Um, and is the Chicago offense a little bit worse than I thought? I, I picked them as one of the fantasy offenses that I was looking at this season they threw the ball a ton, they just didn't get any yards out of it. Um, Khalil Herbert was not very involved, now they were down in this game, so uh, that, that's another one. There's a, a lot of these games. Um, a, a lot of things to, to answer from actually watching, so I'm looking forward to, to getting down and and going through a lot of this. But uh, yeah, that was that was an interesting one to, to see how much trouble they had, at least statistically, against the Green Bay Packers. Um, this one's pretty easy. It's uh, from a matchup that we saw on Sunday afternoon, the Rams and the Seahawks. Do the Seahawks suck it or the Rams good? Um, both questions I will need to have answers for over the, the coming weeks. Is this just a bad game for Seattle or what? But that's a real bad game for Seattle. That's a real good game for the LA Rams. Unless they were just like playing rope-a-dope on all of us with the, the whole Matt Stafford isn't clicking with some of the young guys. Because some of the young guys put up numbers in in that matchup. So interested to see that um also from the Jacksonville Indianapolis game Travis Etienne 23 opportunities that that's i believe it's targets and runs um and we we said coming in that Etienne could be a factor in in this game because of uh the vulnerability that the, the Colts have against the run For someone who was saying all preseason that Tank Bigsby is going to be the number one running back against Jacksonville. Week one didn't get off, or for Jacksonville, sorry, week one didn't get off to a great start, although Bigsby does get into the end zone. He also fumbles the football, but this was a matchup that ETN was going to thrive in anyway, but the amount with which he thrived was a little concerning for someone who was not on the the ETN bandwagon, so I'll be interested to see what it looks like going forward for Jacksonville. And Brian Dayball, I think he is a, a brilliant offensive mind, but the NFL now has a full year on this whole situation, and they're gonna have a much more difficult schedule than than they had last year. If you do not make any kind of adjustments, which it looked like for week one, they didn't, and they got the hell beat out of them. Um, I, I am, again, putting Brian Dable on the wait list for, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, that this could, this might not be good. Um, I think my camera just jumped there. This might not be good uh, for the the Giants this season. And things that I have changed my mind on already in week one. uh, Tyler Algier's involvement in the Atlanta backfield. We saw on Thursday night, David Montgomery had a boatload of the responsibility, while Jameer Gibbs just kind of flashed in and out. Um, Algier gets a lot of the responsibility in Atlanta, while Bijan Robinson gets 11 carries and was active in the, the, the passing game. Now, I do want to see kind of how this balances off a little bit, but I think Algier instead of just being an absolute zero in the uh, offense out in Atlanta, he's going to have much more of the offense than I was expecting. And uh, according to, to Pro Football Focus, um, Bijan Robinson does get into th- uh, or 26 of his 33 snaps in the first three quarters. So they, they they get a bit of a lead in the fourth and Algier comes in to, to help ice it away, but... Um, Bijan Robinson was a big factor in the first three quarters of this game. So, I, I don't think it's going to just be like the Detroit situation, but Algier's going to have much more a role in this offense. And the problem, um, I think Bijan might be affecting Drake London more than Tyler Algier. I thought Drake London going to take another step this year, but one of the frustrations we had around Kyle Pitts was they weren't getting in the ball a lot. They didn't get on the ball a lot here, but Drake London just one target? I am already conceding, I might be wrong, on him taking a step forward, and it's not because of him, but it's this offense, they were very quick to look to be John Robinson, apparently, in the passing game, as he had a 33% target rate, so when he was out there, he was getting looked at, and that's going to take away targets from a a Drake London. We will see how this offense goes uh, later on, but that that, that is one that I'm absolutely Uh, Ringing alarm bells on I underestimated Michael Pittman as the number one receiver for the Indianapolis Colts Um, I I think he has number two receiver written all over him But right now he is the number one target there And he had a field day against the the Jacksonville Jaguars with a quarterback playing his first NFL game I feel like that's only going to get better So I am admitting I was wrong to underestimate uh, Michael Pittman's value this season. Uh, a couple from the Washington backfield. I thought Antonio Gibson was going to shine and Brian Robinson was going to not. Uh, Robinson had some of the most opportunities in the NFL this week and Gibson had four touches. So um, I am already admitting I had a completely wrong read on how things were going to go in the, the Washington backfield. Um, I did not uh, state enough, I don't think, how big of a concern this LA Chargers defense is going to be because you have a defensive-minded coach and all my, my eyes had all the stars in him, all the lightning bolts in them for what this offense could look like with Justin Herbert and Kellen Moore teaming up what I forgot about, um, or maybe didn't give enough credit to because that there's Bosa, there's Derwin James how could this defense be bad? Oh, it is bad. Now, it's against a very good Miami offense so things could bounce back but that was real rough in a, a game that was right there for the, the Chargers to win. And so for a team that I have, winning the AFC West and going over their win total, that was a concerning look for Week 1. Also, on the uh, the Carolina Panthers, Miles Sanders, I, I thought he was a beneficiary of a real good offensive line, and maybe he was. Uh, sorry, a real good Philadelphia offensive line, but may- and maybe he was, but... He's going to get a lot of looks out in Carolina. 24 opportunities this week. He is going to be someone who I think I should have had a little bit higher up on my on my list for fantasy football running backs because he looks pretty good. Um, and the Giants, I... I don't know if I just forgot, or if I underestimated, the Giants offensive line is going to be a problem this year. Now, you're not going to face a a pass attack, or a pass rush attack, sorry, like the the Dallas Cowboys every week, but you're going to face them one more time, and you're going to face the Giants a couple of times. And the the Commanders have guys who can get to the quarterback as well. If this offensive line doesn't step up, it's going to be a problem, and I think it already is. So... A couple of things have already made me change my mind on the New York Giants. As we get ready for Monday Night Football coming up tonight, I do have the Bills uh, to, to cover. I believe I got it at one and a half. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting game, and I think there's going to be a lot of panic out of one area of New York. Whether it's Buffalo, or whether it is, well, there would be a lot of panic coming out of the Meadowlands if the, the Jets lose as well, but... One of these teams that has Super Bowl aspirations is going to be 0-1 after this week. And I think there's going to be a lot of panic about it after getting the national spotlight on Monday night. So it should be a lot of fun to follow that one today. i it's going to be a lot of fun to, to check in on some of these football stories throughout the year and see what we were right on and, and what maybe I needed to, to change my mind on a little bit. But that's the story from the National Football League moving to baseball and this weekend could not have gone any better for the Toronto Blue Jays results-wise. Well, I mean it could have, like the, the Rangers could have got swept by the A's, but realistically this couldn't have gone any better. The Blue Jays move into the second wild card spot, which I will admit isn't as advantageous as maybe you would like to think because a series against the Minnesota Twins feels a whole lot better than a series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Tropicana Field, but neither here nor there. Um, this is a a Blue Jays weekend that you absolutely love. They sweep the Royals. They gain ground on Texas. Like I said, they move into second place in the wild card right now in the American League. And the reason second in the wild card is good is, I mean, it's obvious. There's you have a bit of a bumper there now. Um, the team below you, if they pass you, doesn't mean you're out of the playoffs. So it's just nice to comfortably be in, um, and uh, comfortably in, in air quotes, because. It, nothing is comfortable about where the Blue Jays are at right now, but it is nice to see at least a little bit of wiggle room for Toronto. And this was a weekend where a lot of players stepped up in a big time way. And look, would you have liked the Blue Jays to dominate the Kansas City Royals in much more convincing fashion than a, a couple of late rallies to, to really put teams away? Or you know, in the case of Sunday, needing three consecutive wild pitches after two walks with two outs? Yeah would have been nice to just win 11-2, 11-2, 11-2, and just beat the bejesus out of them. But at this point, with 20-some-odd games left, holy crap will you take a sweep going into your biggest series of the year going up against the Texas Rangers. So from a, a Toronto standpoint, results-wise, couldn't have been better. And you love it because so many players Stepped up, obviously. Davis San, um, Davis Schneider. Sorry, that's the second time I've done that. I got CFL DBs on the mind. Um, Davis Schneider is obviously the goat, and everyone loves him. But you had some big names stepping up, and it starts with the starting pitching. Kikuchi, excellent. Gosman, brilliant. Barrios, phenomenal. All three of them, excellent, excellent, excellent across the board. Um, Gosman was in rare form on Saturday afternoon, just completely shutting down Kansas City, with the exception of that that hanging breaking ball that got hit to the moon. Um, but uh, aside from that, he was just tremendous the, the whole way through. The bullpen had a couple of speed wobbles in there, but the starting pitching was excellent. Setting up the Blue Jays for success, and then you got some key hits, which again, it sucks that you need them against Kansas City. It, it would You would like uh, three very, very convincing, comfortable wins, but you didn't get it. This Blue Jays team has been lacking big hits all season long and they got big plays from their stars when they needed it. On Friday and on Sunday, it was Kevin Kiermaier. And on Saturday, it was George Springer. We'll talk about Springer first. He comes up with a two home run day. Um, He drove in the first three runs of the ball game for Toronto and he is someone who this Blue Jays team, I think, can go from very good to great if he is setting the table. And he obviously had a rough month right around the trade deadline, but his last 30 days, um, it's 14 extra base hits, uh, last 31 days, sorry. uh, 14 extra base hits, he's driven in over 20. He is back to being George Springer and they need him for this stretch drive. This is why they got him in here. With all due respect to those people who were saying that he could be the, the biggest detriment to this team and they're gonna need to try to ship him out, the they, Blue Jays did not acquire him for him to be awesome in August, man. They, they brought him in to light things up in September and October and he came up in some big situations. I have a slight concern about some of the stumbles he had defensively this weekend, but overall, offensively, he was great. Um, and then Kevin Kiermaier, on Friday and on Sunday, he comes up with the, the triple on Friday that just lights the Blue Jays' world on fire, and then Sunday, he breaks the 2-2 deadlock on a, a home run on a breaking pitch, kind of middle in, that he is able to, to take out of the ballpark, The Blue Jays have got 150% of what they could have even possibly imagined from Kiermaier this season. Best case scenario is way in the rear view. He has been excellent. And if you want to bring him back on like a two-year deal, maybe like uh, two with an option or something along those lines, I think he is worth it to have back. He is the exact veteran, the the exact type of uh, force out in center field that this Blue Jays team absolutely needs. Um, He has been that in spades this year for Toronto. And I, I think that they... You could not have asked for more from him, and I, I think he, it, it seems like he loves playing in Toronto, at least on the surface. Um, so it, it would be great to have him back for a bit of an extended run. And just quickly, on that note, you look at what the Blue Jays have been able to get over the last few years out of, like, veterans, I don't want to say off the scrap heap, but not the, the top-level guys, right? Go back to, to Robbie Ray, what they were able to to transform him um, into. They, they even got another pretty good contract for Steven Matz. And now offensively, Whit Merrifield went from kind of being just like a random, why are they even bothering? To a guy who was an all-star this year and has come up with some big hits for the Blue Jays. The, the Blue Jays are not in the playoff race if not for Brandon Beltsbat at, at times throughout this season. And they certainly aren't in this playoff race if not for everything Kevin Kiermeyer has done for them this year. But on the other side of that, I, I think people looked at Kiermaier when he was brought in as maybe a fourth outfield option. And now he's the starter and playing very well. And Brandon Belt, oh, maybe a lefty off the bench. Oh no, he's DHing regularly when he's not hurt. They have, I don't want to say revitalized these careers, but I think they've allowed some of these guys to get one more good contract out of this. And that is a real good reputation to have when you're going out in free agency, especially when Boba Bichette's going to start costing more soon and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Are gonna, is going to start costing a little bit more soon. Um... to to be able to go to those veterans be like, hey, look, we have helped all of these guys come in here. We can help you, and you can help us win as well. I think that is... It's a nice reputation to start to have as a a Blue Jays team going forward. And speaking of Vladdy, there's been a lot of frustration with him this year, and that there is with me as well. Um, Like, you just... You're waiting for him to take that extra step, and he just hasn't so far. And that's been incredibly frustrating to, to watch. But from... A Blue Jay standpoint this weekend, he did a lot of little things that really helped this team win. He made a couple of good scoops on Ernie Clement throws uh, from short, and Ernie Clement at short. It's been okay, Um, but Bobuchet should be back there, I, I would imagine, this week against the the Texas Rangers. But that has been um, his defense. He made a couple of real good plays to to help out the Blue Jays, and then on the bases, I know there's been a lot of dog. Uh, a lot of dogging him for uh, kind of showboating home runs that weren't and not hustling out of the batter's box and those sorts of things. He made a phenomenal play, scoring from first in what ended up being a, a big moment for the Blue Jays uh, earlier this weekend, where he's busting it from first, slides around the tag, and scores. Like, that, that is just an absolute all-out, balls-out hustle play that you would love to see more from him. But Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think, showed up in some small ways that helped out the Blue Jays in big ways this weekend and now they have their biggest series of the season starting tonight against the Texas Rangers. So a lot more Blue Jays talk to come as we are getting into the nitty-gritty here into September. Closing out the show, we look at UFC 293. Um, what the fuck? No one saw that coming in the way that it happened as Sean Strickland beats Israel Adesanya, 49-46 is across the board to become the new UFC middleweight champion. Uh, let's talk about the fight. First and foremost, let's talk about the fight. This was brilliance from Sean Strickland. There's so many different things to, to go into with this. The one thing I loved about Sean Strickland, and it kind of caught him in the second round, but overall, obviously, 49-46 is across the board. Um, he stuck to his game plan the whole way. There was not one moment in that fight where Sean Strickland got out of his game plan, got out of his mind, got it got too aggressive, not aggressive enough. Sean Strickland played the role of Sean Strickland perfectly for 25 minutes. And it ended up getting him the UFC's middleweight championship of the world. Um he was pressuring the whole time. Um I I, I didn't get a chance to watch the, the fight live. I watched it this morning actually. And but my, my wife was seeing it at the bar. I was like, what happened? Like was, was there a, a wild judging thing? Um did he catch him a couple like what 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 happened? And she was just like, yeah, like Adesanya was basically on, like, the outer sponsor ring the whole time. And when you watch the fight back, yeah, that's basically it. Strickland was coming forward the entire fight. And Israel Adesanya, one of the most skilled strikers the sport has ever seen. Very good counter-striker. But even just, like, just at home tonight, you'll look crazy. But just, like, backpedal around your room for 25 minutes. That gets tiring. And that's just without a, another 185-pound human trying to punch your brains in. So... Strickland put Israel Adesanya on his back foot, and again, Izzy can strike well from everywhere, but having to do that for 25 minutes is fucking exhausting. Um, And he had a great sense of the distance as well. He was catching Izzy's kicks early, but because he knew exactly how close he needed to be and how far away he needed to be, he was able to see a lot of those kicks coming, move out of the way, he was able to parry a lot of the, the jabs that Izzy was throwing from that that Philly shell that, that we saw from, from Sean Strickland and he just absolutely befuddled one of the best strikers this sport has ever seen for 25 minutes. Um, And then offensively, he did enough, right? And that, that makes it sound a little bit derogatory, but the jab was working for him. He was landing impactful strikes when he could, but he wasn't loading up on any of those. The punch that rocks Izzy in the first round was just timed perfectly. The There was no load up. There was nothing. It's just for people who always clamor uh, and coaches, this is going to be a a dream for them because they can show, look, if you just punch up the middle, it can be successful. It can work. It can be a championship winning strategy as it was for Sean Strickland. Those punches up the middle, not loaded up on nothing. Obviously, there's still force behind him. He is a rather uh, in shape human being, but... There was no load up there. There was no stopping and really like, like no, no, none of that. It was just pop, pop, but the pop and then the second pop really popped him. And that almost set it up, a, uh, set up a fight ending sequence early on. Credit to Mark, Gar- Mark Goddard for not rushing in there a bit too much, but that, that was perfect timing. And then he did that all throughout the fight. There was no load up. It was so difficult for, for Izzy to counter and he was starting to get it a little bit, but again, he's on his back foot the whole fight. Brilliance, brilliance from Sean Strickland. And now, you look at what is next. Um, I, you won't hear me say this often. I agree with Daniel Cormier. Just a quick aside. Laura, Laura Senko was brilliant on commentary on Saturday night. Um, I I thought one of the the best analyst jobs we've seen in the UFC in years and years and years. So shout out to her. Um, But Daniel Cormier was right. I don't think Izzy gets an immediate rematch. You can get an immediate rematch when you've been one of the faces in the middleweight division for a a long run and your your long title reign comes to an end. That's not what this was. He had just won the title back in his last bout and now he's lost it again. You, You... you don't get that immediate rematch a second time around. And not that Izzy has to go to the bottom and, and start working on the contender series. But Izzy needs at least one more fight before I think he gets his championship back. Um, and now there's a couple of options for for Sean Tricklin. And we will do fights to make um, coming up on on Friday's show, on Fights in Football Friday. But I, like, uh, Drakus Duplessis is kind of seemed like he was next in line and couldn't get things worked out. So Sean Strickland steps in and has a a life-changing moment. Do you go with DDP next? You could. Um, Paulo Costa against Hamzat Shemaev is is coming up. Uh, If it were me, I would probably go Duplessis against Sean Strickland next and have Izzy take on the winner um, or loser uh, of Paulo Costa against Hamzat Shemaev, even if you wanted the the winner of Paulo Costa and Hamzat to be next behind um, DDP and have um, have Izzy face the loser of that bout, back in the day anyway, the the UFC liked to go winner versus winner, loser versus loser, I think that's fallen off a little bit, but, um, that would be an intriguing one for me, but yeah, this was, this was incredibly surprising, um, I, I didn't think there was any world where Sean Strickland, for basically 20 of 25 minutes, outstruck Israel Adesanya, um, his his coaching staff, I I thought, rightly pointed out, like, you're kind of just watching, um, in that second round, and he was able to to put more on. But Israel Adesanya was just never allowed the the opportunity to plant and really throw and get anything behind his punches. While Sean Strickland worked it to a T and a beautiful strategy, wins him the UFC's middleweight championship. That is going to do it for the show today, everyone. Thank you all so much for tuning in. For those of you watching, like this video, subscribe to the channel. um, Tell your friends, as always, share it. That kind of stuff really does help. So uh, please do that. Uh, If you're listening in podcast form, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you can. Uh, We are basically going to be Monday through Friday the football season. There, there will be some times where uh, we'll have to combine a, a couple of things into one, but through the football season anyway, well, we are going to be Monday through Friday. Also, starting next week, our NHL preview is back, and the NBA preview will not be far behind. Uh, we got Blue Jays coming up. CFL content is going to continue. What a weekend for the, the Edmonton Elks. Uh, we won't talk about the, what happened to, to my Saskatchewan Roughriders, but uh, we have a lot to cover in the sports world. As always, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I'm at PrimetimeKline. Um, sorry, Twitter, Instagram, and tiktok i'm at primetime twitch.tv slash primetime pk and you can email the show couch potato diary at yahoo.com coming up on the show tomorrow monday night football reactions uh we will have a waiver wire look for fantasy football. And one thing I'm going to do this year, kind of brought it back last year, but really bad fantasy football team that would have beat yours. Uh, We're going to look at that again this season. So that is all coming up on the show tomorrow. Wednesday, it'll be CFL Power Rankings. Thursday, uh, we are going to have more NFL content as we get ready for the Thursday Nighter as well as have NFL Power Rankings. So... Uh, All that leads into a pick-per-play, pick-per-game story on Friday and some more UFC reaction on Fights and Football Friday. And there's a big UFC card coming up this weekend with Alexa Grasso taking on Valentina Shevchenko. So it never ends in the world of sports. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you all later.